Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show on iTunes and get it automatically. You can like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. You can email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Josh High False. Just a reminder that Philly Sketch Fest is coming up April 20th through the 23rd. Head to Philly Sketch Fest to learn more. Submissions for sketch teams ends February 15th. Submissions for the film festival end February 22nd. And you can sign up to be a volunteer and help with some of the logistics of running a comedy show. All of those forms are up at phillysketchfest.com. Also, Philly Sketch Fest is one of the featured sponsors of the Bechtel Test Fest, which will take place March 3rd and 4th at Christchurch Neighborhood House. For more information, check out bechteltfest.com. Today's guest is John Edelman, currently a member of the Amazing Flying Edelman. His first sketch is called Pubie Pick, which is a commercial parody. Ross Reagan plays the host of the infomercial Rick Bripson. Marissa Edelman plays the commercial voiceover Maria and Catherine. John plays Gus, and I give all the directions and visual information. So let's get to the sketch. Does this ever happen to you? It's black and white, a man wearing sweatpants, and a woman standing standing up making out the man pulls his waistband out for the woman to take a look she looks down into his pants disgusted and grabs a nearby trash can to vomit into or this woman wearing a robe reveals herself to her partner a look of terror overcomes his face and he quickly sprints to and jumps out of a nearby window well today is your lucky day cut to rick bripson an australian salesman extraordinaire wearing a white lab coat hi rick bripson here are you sick and tired of flat, lifeless pubic hair? Have your friends and lovers noticed that you're lacking a little oomph down there? Well, I have the product for you. Introducing the puby pick. Rick holds up the puby pick, presenting it to the camera, a scientist swirling and examining a beaker full of pubic hair. This ergonomically designed hair prick has been specially engineered by the former NASA scientists to conform to the contour of the human crotch. A scientist looking through a microscope at, with a large wad of pubic hair on the stage of the microscope. The PubiPix Space Age technology allows the average Joe or Josie to part the curtain downstairs before the show begins. A group of scientists sitting around a person's crotch writing ferociously on clipboards as they examine the crotch. Cut to Rick in the studio. Don't take my word for it. Just ask these satisfied customers. Maria, a biology professor at Tufts University. Before I had the PubiPix... People used to call the police every time I exposed myself in public. Now they're taking pictures. Thanks, PubiPick. Cut to Gus, a groundskeeper at Raleigh Fingers Elementary School. I know a thing or two about keeping grass nice and tidy. I was always worried about taking care of the weeds in the outfield, but never thought about taking care of the weeds in my infield. Thanks, PubiPick. Catherine, a world-renowned pubic hair stylist. For the rich and famous, keeping up with the Joneses is important. If your groinal game isn't on point, you can go from the A-list to the D-list all the way to the V-list. As a pubic hairstylist for such stars as Justin Bieber, Jennifer Lawrence, and Steven Seagal... While listing the celebrities' shots of random people's crotches with pants on, the shots are indistinguishable. I know it's the pubie pick or nothing. Cut back to Rick in the studio standing at a table. On the table is a bright red curly wig representing pubic hair. Your pubic hair takes a lot of abuse during the day, 
There's denim burns, sweat-induced frizz, or just the normal wear and tear from the daily grind. In front of me is a model crotch. I'm going to put this thing through the ringer and show you the power of the pubie pick. Rick pours red wine on wig, rubs sandpaper on wig, pours pot of hot coffee on the wig, rubs a balloon on the wig, and then pounds on the wig with a hammer several times. Now that's some jacked up junk. But with some styling from the pubie pick, it'll be good as new. Rick picks the wig up wildly, splattering red hairs, coffee, and wine on his white lab coat. You can't argue with results. If that's not enough, when you call within the next 15 minutes... A timer appears on the bottom right of the screen, counting down from 15 minutes. You'll receive four special gifts. You'll get not one, but two pubie picks. We'll also throw in two of our newest patented products, the Below the Belt Blow Dryer and Crotch Curlers. Last but not least, we'll throw in our pubic hair styling guide, which comes with over 100 hairdos for any occasion, including cat birthdays, anger management graduations, and church. Three shots of a black sensor bar with few straggly hairs around it as Rick lists the occasions. Rick unveils the special gifts from under a sheet, an extra pubie pick, a bunch of tiny curlers, a miniature blow dryer, and a booklet titled Carpets Should Match the Drapes, 100 plus updos for your downstairs. That's right. You get two pubie picks, the crotch curlers, and below the belt blow dryer, and for the and the pubic hair styling guide, all for just $49.99. Don't be a schmuck. Join the general revolution and buy a pubie pick, because there's no reason your junk can't be the full package. Payment screen showing the timer, the price, $49.99 plus shipping and handling, the mailing address, footage of the pubic pick from multiple angles, and the following words in red large font on the bottom of the screen warning not for use on human genitals may cause bleeding chafing and medusa pubes send your check or money order to p.o box 81342 spread eagle wisconsin supplies of the pubie picker limited so act now Hey, John. How are you doing today? I'm all right. A little rainy. Uh, so tell me where this idea came from. Oh, God. I, it was uh, about a year ago. I was uh, taking Sketch 101 with Jackie Baker. And okay. we had to do a parody sketch. Okay. And I had no ideas and just thought back to when I was in high school. Uh, my friends and I used to watch Billy Mays videos for hours on end. All right. The fact that you say that was high school for you is impress- depressing enough. So. I am, I'm sorry for saying that. <laughs> At least post college for me, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm quite young. If it makes you feel better, I've I've eaten fatty food to the point that my heart's probably gonna explode. <laughs> Where you time look, now. yeah. <laughs> Where you look older. That's doesn't make me feel better, but okay. Um, so this is your parody in 101, which is a, a running theme on this podcast. I feel. Um, so just Billy Mays. Let's find the worst product we can think of, and yeah, or an unnecessary product that we can think of and just run from there. Yeah, the least necessary. It's Yeah, reading this <laughs> reading this again uh makes me just feel bad about myself <laughs> for having created this. It's funny, but funny in a way that I don't want to admit that I find things funny. Right. Um how did this play in the room? It got a ton of laughs, uh but also everyone just gave me like a crooked look once it was done. <laughs> Like, kind of like, you know what you did. You know. <laughs> like, like, we're all in this together, but you, yeah. you're clearly the worst of the bunch. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, 
I don't even know where the hell this came from. Probably mm. just uh, my kind. Uh, well, of sick I mean, lines. first, like, I mean, those Billy Mays infomercials are the oh, are yeah. pretty easy target for parody and yeah. just find the worst thing you can do and yeah, easily identifiable. Go for it. Yeah, and I was like, ah, PUB pick. <laughs> Why not? They both start with P. <laughs> just do a lot. You need alliteration. Yeah, and uh, what I, I remember actually writing notes for this, and one thing that I wrote down was groinal. Yeah. That w- that was I needed to use that. I called that. That was yeah. I like that one. Yeah, I I don't believe that's a word. Uh, nor should it ever be. It might. Actually, but, uh, I don't know. It might be a word. If it wasn't, it is now. Like, do doctors just say you know in your groin area like groinal yeah, they makes probably sense use groinal. As, a, as an adjective? Yeah. Down um, in your groinery. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, all right. 101 Jackie Baker. Was there anyone in that class that um, is still doing stuff is around? Oh, God. Or are you the lone survivor? Um, do you know Latisse? Yeah. The comedian? Yeah. Stand up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was in the class. She's super funny. Um, she had a lot of really good sketches. Uh, there were a couple uh, other like middle-aged women. Um there's one girl. Uh, How did this play with that? Like, oh, they thought it was amazing. <laughs> the middle-aged women had some of the filthiest sketches I have ever heard in my life. Yeah. A lot of their sketches were uh, like dildo commercials. Um, I think one was a, a sketch about uh, like BDSM. It's funny. Where yeah. it's funny because like thinking back to my 101 like five years ago, I distinctly remember a dildo commercial from one of the middle-aged women in my class too so yeah must be a, a thing it stuck with me because it was like a steve jobs <laughs> presentation for a dildo i don't remember the full i just remember that there being a dildo in a sketch and i don't remember the full but that's fine yeah um so what got you to comedy like what did you like growing up oh god i used to i think exclusively watch comedy along with my sister and my dad uh we used to watch monty python kids in the hall old snl um, and I've always looked for newer and newer, newer comedy, mm-hmm. even if that's not necessarily the newest, like, uh, probably within the last like five or six years, I started watching like the state, mm-hmm. um, started getting more into, uh, the UCB show. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you haven't seen it, like the old, yeah. the old NBC slogan, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. Yeah, exactly. Like, doesn't matter that it's 20 years old or, yeah. uh, so we'll start right away. Like Saturday Night Live, who would be your favorite cast member? Oh God. I feel like I've heard this a lot on this podcast. Yeah, I ask everybody. Phil Hartman, I think, is probably like the most talented. I think he's my, probably my favorite. Him or him or Will Ferrell. Um, Phil Hartman was like a bit before my time. I'm pretty sure he was off the show by the time I was like two or three years old. Um, <sighs> sorry, um, <laughs> but yes, you're probably right. Uh, yeah, but Will Ferrell, I remember being like really, really young and just watching uh, watching SNL with my parents. And just seeing how silly he was and not at all acting like an adult, which yeah. I thought was really, really fun and yeah. interesting. Yeah, Will Ferrell definitely has a, an innate ability for silliness and like... Yeah. Like, and it's not the same thing, but silliness and bizarre. Like, he's such a chameleon that he can do pretty much anything on that show or... Oh, yeah. And the, the reason I liked... Uh, oh, yeah. He is... He's super talented and he always did incredibly high energy sketches and that, those really stuck with me. For Phil Hartman, it was... I think it was Commitment. Yeah. Um, there's one sketch he does. I think it's called Mr. Belvedere's Fan Club. Yeah. And Tom Hanks is hosting. It's like a nine minute sketch, but there are points in the sketch that Phil Hartman just steals the entire scene. It's basically, uh, for those who don't know, Mr. Belvedere is a TV show was in the eighties. Again, and it's a random fa- fan. You're club looking club. at me as if I had firsthand knowledge, like that I was alive when I, that I happened. I don't. I don't know. Now I'm starting <laughs> to question how old anybody is. 
But yes, um, Mr. Elvedere was a TV show about a, a butler. Oh yeah, yeah. Bob Bob Euchre's butler. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so Mr. The fan club uh, gets increasingly dark. It's basically like, you know, don't touch him. Stop sending him letters mm-hmm. in your own blood. And uh, it goes to Phil Hartman and they ask him what he shouldn't do. And he basically goes on to say that he shouldn't want to feel the flesh of Mr. Belvedere <laughs> be unto the flesh. Let the flesh become the key to the like his key to the world. Just some really dark shit. And coming from a guy who looks like, uh, you know, your everyday dad it uh it left an imprint on me. Have you read his biography that just came out? I actually have not. I, I just finished it a couple weeks ago, so like, um, so it's like fresh in my mind. But like, th- like all of it was about like how he was always worried that he didn't have a big starring like spot in in Saturday Night Live. Oh, but he was in like he was always the secondary, the, the supporting. Yeah, he's the glue. Yeah. Well, we know that now. Yeah. Like, we can look back with that in fondness, but he always wanted. You know, this was a time of Church Lady and then Wayne's World. Yeah. Like, even to a lesser extent, Pat, like, he wanted a big, which is why, you know, Key Rock, the unfrozen caveman lawyer, became a thing. Yeah. Or, he wanted that franchise character. Yeah. And he never got it, which, but he doesn't understand how, like. But he was Troy McClure. Like, yeah, well. <laughs> and he wasn't even totally on board with that, like, yeah. at the beginning. Um, he said he wanted to do that once. What was he proudest of doing uh, Jingle All the Way? Was that his crowning achievement? Well, I don't know because he's dead and this was other people's. Oh, uh, now I feel bad in hindsight for saying it was that. a biography, not an autobiography. Yeah. Like I wish it was. What, did he was, was he shot by his wife? Yes, he was. All right, that's. Uh, <laughs> so what's Will Ferrell up to nowadays? <laughs> not being shot by his wife. Good for him. Um, oh my god. But yeah, like you know, like I don't think in you know Saturday Live just passed their 40th anniversary and like so there was all these like different articles and everyone's like. Yeah, Phil Hartman's the best. Like, oh yeah, if he's not one or two in any poll about best cast member, that that poll doesn't matter to me. Like it's incorrect. Yeah, he's he's a chameleon, and he for me he's like uh, like. Well, I guess I would put Kate McKinnon on his level. I was about to say it the other way around, where if they're in a, if they're in a sketch, like they're they're gonna steal it. Like no mm. one's gonna upstage them, even right. if they have two lines. They're going. They're going to be the funniest part of that sketch. But and and the biography also mentioned how he was committed, like how he would study voices and and tapes. Like his Clinton was nuanced. Oh yeah, way more than Daryl Hammond Hammonds was later on. Like where Daryl Hammond became a cartoon character of yeah. Clinton. Uh, Hartman's is very like like precise and yeah. It was before it was like all right. I'm gonna go for this like sex dog. Yeah, even though like that sex dog was out there. Like yeah. They, people knew that he was a little bit grimy, but didn't know the extent. Then <laughs> didn't get it got worse. Oh, much okay. worse. Uh, so you mentioned also like kids in the hall. Yeah, actually, uh, I actually just uh, almost finished their book, the new book that came out. I forget exactly what it's called. Oh, the it was. It's just like some kids in the hall retrospective. I think came yeah. out last year, or the year before. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty pretty interesting. And and it's funny that you brought up the 40th anniversary of SNL because. They mentioned that Mark McKinney was ranked like 104th <laughs> out of 141 <laughs> cast members. But he made it as a cast member. I know. And I didn't realize. Two others became writers, but. Yeah, I didn't realize. Or were writers before. Yeah, he, he and Bruce McCullough wrote, I think in 1987. Earlier. I think it was uh, that first season that Lauren came back, like 85, 86. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, because uh, I think Bob Odenkirk came on in 87. Yeah. And had heard about them being on the year before. <laughs> Because, and then, because right after they left Saturday Night Live, they started doing the Kids in the Hall TV show. Yeah. Like, but yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Um, I wasn't really allowed to watch Kids in the Hall. 
Uh, my mom was not a fan of the Chicken Lady. But they're Canadian. It's like the most wholesome sketch comedy you can find. Except for the Chicken Lady. Yeah, she's kind of demonic. And then, she, no, not to mention, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss's Bible oh, would have yeah. been an issue in my house, <laughs> too. So, All right. Yeah, I... Uh, for me, like the earliest memories of Kids in the Hall is like the Daves I know. And I was like, yeah, oh, this is so silly and yeah. fun. And um, then it, the, there are dark turns. And oh, yeah, very much so. Um, you mentioned like watching comedy with your sister and your dad and like how much was comedy like a family thing? Oh, that, w- that was like the family thing. Like we we sat around and watched TV and that was like. Was it. there ever like any awkwardness about like what you were watching? Like not, not really. You at know, all. that commercial where the, the mom's putting like the crackers in front of the boy because there's like a, like a naughty scene. And yeah. it's like, cause whenever I watched movies with my parents, that was a thing. Yeah. I had, a, I had a couple movies like that with my dad when I'm just like, I'm going to run away and live in a hole <laughs> from now on. I'll see you. It's nice knowing your dad. Um, like no. what? what do you remember specific movies oh that God. were, what is that Kevin Bacon movie? The invisible man. No, that's a, that's a book. What What's the one where he's invisible? Uh, he takes some sort of serum. It's a bad movie. Hollow Man. Hollow Man. I was watching Hollow Man, and it gets a little racy in there, a little little sexy. And I was with my dad, and I was like 11. <laughs> and we were just like sitting on the couch together, and I was, it was just so uncomfortable. <laughs> I literally wanted to rip my skin off. Um, yeah. Anyways, to answer your question, um, it was never really that weird. We also watched... I guess what I consider to be like more intellectual comedy. Mm-hmm. So although it's silly on one level, there's uh, like what? Monty Python. We watched yeah. a ton of. We got the uh, I guess the Time Life Monty Python VHSs coming mm-hmm. to the house. Um, we got so many, uh, and this is in part because my dad forgot to cancel it. They just started sending duplicates. We might even have triplicates awesome. of different seasons of Monty Python on VHS. Um, and yeah, we watched a ton of that. Is there anything specifically from Mighty Python that sticks out that you uh, like? I, the fish slapping. Uh, that I think when I was younger, it was that. Uh, the Ministry of Silly Walks. Yeah. Um, but as I, I've gotten older, I think one that stuck out to me and has changed over the years is the one where it's a, a soccer match between philosophers. Where it's, I don't think I've seen that. Uh, so they, they, it has, I think it's Germany versus England. And so one side is all German philosophers. Greek philosophers okay. versus English philosophers, German philosophers <laughs> versus Greek philosophers. <laughs> I knew that. Um, <laughs> and so one side is Greek, one side is German, and the whistle blows and they all start pontificating, walking around, rubbing their chins, looking up at the sky, scratching their heads. And they're, uh, and so uh, the announcers are rapidly announcing what's happening, even mm-hmm. though nothing's happening. Kind of yeah. like an English soccer uh, Premier League game. Tons of things happening. Yeah, League games like yeah, exactly. Don't and disrespect. Eh, zero zero score is not terribly impressive. No, I don't. I don't mean, I don't mean to There's speak. Ninety minutes of other action. Uh, that is true. I suppose. Anyway, so not the journey, not the result. That is that is true. It's about how you get there, how you get to the zero zero game. Um, so uh, they they cut away from that and they come back. Uh, you assume it's some time later, and still same things happening. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Rapid uh, announcing. And then one of them, one of the philosophers screams, Eureka, runs up and just kicks the ball, <laughs> takes it downfield, and <laughs> scores. <laughs> and it's so silly, and it's uh, it's great commentary, and it's satire and all this other, other stuff. But for me as a kid, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, that's silly. Why aren't these guys actually playing soccer? Yeah. And then, you know now that I've gone to college and learned what philosophy means <laughs> or philosophy is and who some philosophers are, philosophers are uh, 
it's it's funny on a whole different level. So you get to, you know, it's, it's a family fair of watching comedy and now it's a family fair of doing comedy because now you and your sister are the amazing flying Edelman. Yes, we are. Right? That's amazing flying? Yeah. Okay. I was in, for, between uh, Incredible Shrinking Man Jackie and yeah, you want to make sure the adjectives are correct as you. Oh, yeah, of course. All right. So where does that come from that you want to work with your sister? Because I can't think of anything worse in my life than doing comedy with my siblings. Great question. So Marissa and I hated each other until I was about 20. She was about 24, 25. Um, yeah, it turned out we had a lot in common. The only difference is I'm more extroverted. She's more introverted. So yeah. that being played out at home with a five five year age difference was mostly just screaming and punching each other but once we were normal younger brother older yeah sister, yeah you know like i would antagonize annoyingness. her and uh she would rightfully you know smack me in the head <laughs> but uh around 20 we started hanging out she was at uh temple for law school i was a temple undergrad um and we got really friendly and i needed an extra roommate when i left college and we ended up living together and after a year of living together we we realized that we were like on the same page comedically because we could riff and we would have, you know, a whole a whole idea for a sketch in like ten minutes. So where do you like find comedy? Like how how do you learn that there's comedy in Philadelphia? Oh God, Google. Just, I honestly, I I had I had known like a ton about the history of comedy, and to me, Philadelphia was always from what I had heard. Philadelphia was a place where stars had come from, never where stars were made. Right, and so people like would leave Philly. And go elsewhere and right, get famous. Where, where you, there's tons of comedians that are from Philadelphia, but they spent a year here and got out because, like, yeah, to do anything, they had to go somewhere else. Yeah, of course. And there so wasn't anything in Philadelphia to, yeah, continue to, their upward. Absolutely. Um, and so I had assumed that mean that that meant there was nothing in Philadelphia. I never really uh, looked for anything. And even when I was in, like in college, um, I knew there was like Temple Smash. Um, Which had just started, basically. Like. Yeah, yeah, it was really, really fresh. I think they were maybe doing like their first or second season, mm-hmm. um, and I was, I was in like the business honors program. Was like the head of this, like a bunch of organizations, and at that point, uh, had thought that writing was like a a fruity endeavor. Yeah. Um, so I decided to not even try out for Temple Smash, even mm-hmm. though in the back of my head I was like, oh, I feel like I would love this. Yeah. Um, so pass that opportunity up. I was about 23 working this corporate job, living with my sister, and we had like, I don't know, 50 or 60 pages of sketch notes. Okay. And I was like, well, I, w- I want to do something with this. So I Googled Philadelphia sketch classes and found fit. Um, so you've done 101 with Jackie Baker. Yeah. Do you do anything else that fit? I'm currently in 201 with Matt Schmidt. You're doing it now. And okay. I did unrelated to sketch did like the you did the improv. producing oh uh, wait what you did improv? I'm do- yeah i'm doing the improv curriculum right now i'm in 401 wait all right go through that who's uh, who was 101 frank farrell amazing i had i had great great instructors at fit frank uh, farrell for 101 two uh was meredith weir three was jess snow and right now i have nick gillette okay. all all really great people and you also did the production class that good good right yeah with aaron um and that's how uh, my sister and i actually developed our first show uh human cartoons mm-hmm. um spent far too long putting that together but i think it i think it turned out pretty well was it the same thing that you would you did at fit yeah weeks ago? like it was that same show yeah that full show okay well, yeah we, we we spent i mean this is our first time doing a full show so we spent far too much money on props far too much money on costumes 
and we were like, let's get our let's get our money's worth out of this. Oh, that's no problem. So yeah, like, we booked a booked a couple extra shows that fit in addition um, to Good Good. But now, like, so so working with your sister, like, how's that dynamic? How does that feel? Totally ignoring the fact that she's still in the room, like, oh, it's all right. Out, like, <laughs> um, work speak candidly and honestly. It's the she'll never hear this. <laughs> yeah, she'll she'll never know. Um, it's. I would say the easiest working relationship I've ever had because there's none of that bullshit of like, oh, I'm concerned about this person's feelings. Like we've already said the worst to each other. Right. Okay. So if we're working through something, like we can get aggravated and just like yell at each other until it, uh, hopefully a gem there's pops n- out. There's no more worried about feelings. Like, no. T- well, to a certain extent, like you know. We're well, not I gonna, mean, like, yeah. like any sketch group that I've worked with, I, they've like it hasn't had that long history of like you have a long history of personal connection. Oh, yeah. And that I've never had worth any writing partner I've ever had. So like, there's first off, there's gonna be a language between you two, I believe. That like, oh yeah, you know, that shared like. And my parents like they see us now, and my sister and I will start riffing, like uh, a million miles a second, and they'll have no idea what we're talking about. They're like, mm-hmm. you guys are talking your own language, yeah. because we'll have like a million inside jokes from, not just writing comedy, from just living with each other. Um, and yeah, any, anyways, uh, writing together is really great too because we also have a very similar knowledge base yeah and we come from obviously an identical culture so we're we're writing with similar feelings about the world Mm -hmm. um and when i i'm i want to parody something in pop culture or she wants to use something uh from a historical context i have a good idea of what she's talking about and vice versa yeah you don't necessarily explain like what's the the hook to it exactly um so it's it's great we we have very similar uh knowledge bases uh, which is infinitely helpful. Uh, so you're you're going through the improv classes now. How's that helping writing? I really love improv. I but I see it as more of like a tool for riffing. I realize that like I've been doing improv forever. I yeah, guess you're just not. Yeah, just not in like the formal setting. Um, yeah, my sister and I would always just like you know do funny voices and like basically go back and forth in a scene to see who would break first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we, we came up with a lot of our sketch ideas before even doing improv. I think it's, o- it's only helped in idea generation. Um, the only thing that I think is missing that I like to put in sketches is um, a little bit of commentary or have it based in the real world or be talking about the real world a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but I find in improv, sometimes you, come up co- sometimes you come across that, sometimes you don't necessarily in a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's great for idea generation. Now you have a new show that's starting with Fit. The gimmick show. Oh yes, um, it hasn't debuted yet. So, tell me about it, or tell me about the idea. Like, what's the gimmick show? Is uh, I would say if I had to compare it to things that exist, it's probably a mix between Comedy Bang Bang, the Chris Gethard show, and the Eric Andre show. Okay, um, we're gonna have a live punk band as our house band. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna be a late night panel show. Um, and we're working with a group that uh, we we do improv with, um, and so we're gonna have a panel, and there's gonna be quote unquote interruptions from characters. Okay. Um, and so we're gonna try to push the show along. It's gonna be uh, based on a central theme. For instance, the um, the February 18th show is going to be based around new beginnings. Okay. Because it's our first uh, first episode. That makes sense. So we're gonna have a lot of little little character bits and discussions amongst the panel. Based around new beginnings. Okay. Um, so you mentioned like Bang Bang and Gethard and 
I'm I'm fairly new to the Gris, the Gethard show. Like oh, I am I am too. I binge, uh, I end up, ended up binge watching. But like, like that episodes. last season, like was so like on point and perfect to me. Between uh, what they call it? what's in a box? What's in oh, a box? With or, the don't ruin it. Oh. God. I'm gonna have to bleep that out. I actually, I might actually bleep that out just for funsies. <laughs> like, um, oh, that, yeah, that'll be perfect. Uh, um, I kind of like, want to spoil it again. No, I won't. I won't. I'll bleep it out every time you say it. Like, well, they bring it up, and I, I will stop talking. I'm just digging a huge hole with a microphone right but now. But between, yeah, between the, the what's in the box and the wrestling show, and like even b- earlier with the family dinner with uh, yeah. Gerard Carmichael. Like, oh, that was so good. There's just there's no like. Like boundary to what he wants to do, and yeah, and I I I thought that was incredibly like inspirational to to see that. I mean, it's I don't think it's the funniest show comedy show out there, but I think it's the most authentic. Like he is he is revealing himself mm-hmm. and what he finds funny and putting himself out there in a lot of different ways, both physically and emotionally. In a lot of ways that other people definitely wouldn't do. Like, oh, absolutely not. Um, I'm really excited because they just announced that. Uh, he did a one-man show in New York. Oh, really? Uh, like last fall for like a month and a half or so, and HBO picked it up. So they're going oh, to air awesome. it on like I think May. Damn, I'm excited for that. Yeah, I did not know that. It's career suicide or something called that. Actually, yeah, I had I had read about that. Now, but, that, now that you mentioned the name. But uh, yeah, Chris, yeah, he's a he's an interesting guy. Um, and then like Eric Andre, who, like I can't totally get on board with Eric Andre like he, I know he's, yeah. he's totally an acquired taste he's a bit much sometimes and yeah that's exact like there's a point where I'm like all right calm down it's just TV like yeah I for me so like you're not destroying sets every week no or but like uh we're we're planning on doing some destructive stuff right. with you know within the confines of what we're allowed to do at fit yeah um but yeah that's that's the whole thing is like we kind of wanted to be like a punk hip-hop hell circus okay. where it's just it's kind of very random in terms why didn't you of call it then instead of a gimmick show why didn't you call I, it punk I didn't hip-hop think hell it, circus i didn't think it had quite the uh quite the ring to it it's a little little i don't uh, know a little too I chunky i kind of like pump it punk, i can't even say Ex- it, so. there you go i uh, think that says it all oh the one uh the one cool thing about gimmick show is we're gonna have a uh, a guest performance a guest pr- uh, like musical performance at the end of every show and it's not including your house band uh like Sometimes they'll accompany the guest performance. But I mean, like, there's going to be something, like, in addition to. So there's a lot yeah. of music going on yeah, here. Yeah, there's an in addition to. Although that, that guest performance spot could also be for uh, art performance pieces. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're, we're really doing, like, try, we're trying to do, like, the, the whole late night thing, but mm-hmm. in a very, very inappropriate way. It's a, it's a big endeavor. Um, and it's, like, partially scripted, par- partially improvised. Um and it's great, like all all those people um, who are on the show. I met them in Fitz Improv classes. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually work on a show at Good Good Comedy with them uh, called Good Morning New Miami. Okay, I let's talk about that because I didn't know that you were part oh, yeah. of that. Yeah, Good Morning New Miami. <laughs> <laughs> so Good Morning Mi- Good Morning New Miami is a morning show yes. post apocalyptic. Dick. Exactly. So it's tw- and Miami's not even Miami, right? No, it's New Miami is in I believe West Virginia, okay, and the year is twenty fifty. That's what I thought. Um, and okay. West Virginia is like the southeastern most part of the United States by this point, due to you know that's why it's Miami. Yeah, due to due to obvious reasons that may or may not be true depending on who you talk to. So um, where does that come from? Like, so that was how did uh, that start? Um, so. Andrew Shear, who I had sketch 201 through 401 with. Improv. Uh, improv, yeah. His girlfriend, Reem, was in the same class, I believe, and did Good Morning uh, New Miami. And 
Good Good really liked it. Um, and they decided to bring it back uh, cool. every fourth Friday uh, at Good Good Comedy. It's Oh, every fourth Saturday, sorry, at 7 p.m.? 7 p.m. <laughs> so many comedy projects. Not enough brain space. The the first time I saw you guys perform as the Flying Edelmans was at uh, Dirtiest Sketch last oh year. Oh, God. I just watched that footage. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, my God. Um, oh, fuck. And just, like, watching you guys, like, prepare for it and, like, knowing what was going to happen and, like, seeing you guys just downstairs, like, filling the gimmick. I'm just like, okay, this is a thing that's going to happen. And then it happens, and you're not pre- totally prepared for it. That's that's exactly kind of what I wanted. Uh, my sister and I are really into spectacle. Yeah. Not just, like, we, we want to make people laugh, but we also want to make people think, what the fuck was that? How the fuck was that? Yeah. Like, yeah. They, where, where, like, you really, where the laughs aren't fleeting, but they're, it leaves you with some thoughts. Oh, okay, so since the people that are listening to this haven't known, the sketch that you guys did at Dirty Sketch, you guys were finalists, so you know, totally kudos and everything for that. Uh, you guys were siblings who had uh, gotten pregnant, so you know, incest is always going to be Dirtiest Sketch. Yeah. And then you reveal uh, during the sketch that your parents were also siblings, and their parents, and their and parents then before it's them. just an entire family of yeah. just incestual, like oh, an incestual yeah. family tree. I believe there was multiple eyeballs like yeah uh it was glued to yeah and she gives she gives birth on stage and then the sister gives birth on stage and on top she, of me she rips open a uh, <laughs> a plastic bag bladder what yeah. was what was the the food that uh so what i did was i went to uh, the shop right and found found everything i could find that i would consider goopy or disgusting okay and i it was like chocolate syrup it was sauerkraut there was mayonnaise i remember there it was like did not smell syrup. very well like and yeah we had to bring our own tarp for that so we didn't destroy well, the stage you didn't have to but it was greatly appreciated i i, f- I, I knew this was not going to be <laughs> a good time for anybody else who performed after I saw us you guys, i saw you guys with the tarp i was like all right thank you like yeah, I kind of I, I knew what was going to happen, and I didn't want to do that to the the performers who were going after us. Yeah, it was that sketch. I I felt sick performing it, <laughs> like knowing what was because ha- there's like so many layers to it in terms of like yeah, we're brother and sister. Also, it's it's Christmas morning, and she's giving birth in the bathroom while they're we're, while they're waiting to open presents, and yeah, it's there's a lot of awfulness too i think that i think that kind of aligns with that my first sketch a little bit of going like just going where you shouldn't go yeah so all right so why comedy what like i mean we talked about you and your sister riffing but now you're at the point where you're performing and writing and like yeah what hooked you in to really say like i want to do this like it was always uh comedy was always how i interacted with the world how i interacted with people Whenever I was going to write a paper for school, I would do something comedic, mm-hmm. or I would aim to. Um, if I ever had the option to do a film instead of a paper in, in school, or that was the possibility uh, uh, end product for a project, I always went for some funny film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just felt it felt like this was like a natural progression for me. Also, I, I worked a god-awful corporate job, um, and I was super drained. I'd been working there for like a year and a half straight out of school. And uh, my really good friend, um, he has uh, some, like, drug issues. Mm. 
and he ended up relapsing and like I'm I'm a big part of his support system and so I, I had like a lot of pull that way and then my aunt passed away around the same exact time and work was really busy and all these terrible things were happening um, and I like just took a took a step back and said well one this job is not satisfying and thought what would be satisfying and I thought about you know how do I relate to the world what do I enjoy what has always brought joy to me mm-hmm. um, and it's always been comedy and I thought you know there's I should stop bullshitting and say you know I'm not into this like froofy stuff I I don't want to I don't want to be like an artist or anything like that and stop putting that you know bullshit in the way yeah you definitely like there's a certain point where a lot of people that they grow up and they don't want to be the theater kid and then theater's all that hooks them like yeah or not even like theater like performance whatever art you want to put in that basket of like Oh, I'm too cool for this then. Exactly. And then 10 years later, like, it's all I ever want. Like, yeah. It's it's really funny. And I, an- another thing, to go off of that, I always thought theater kids were awful. <laughs> Sorry to any theater kids listening to this. I I mean, I was obnoxious as hell, but to me, they were obnoxious on, like, an unreal level. Like, I was like, why are you singing about guys and dolls? Like, you're 11. <laughs> like, you don't even know what, like, what, what this is even about thematically. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't understand the gravity of what this this musical's about um and yeah i was i was more the kid that would like walk get off the bus early to walk down the train tracks and break bottles <laughs> and I th- that is not a joke um yeah i was just like a real shit kid and did not want to, i really didn't want to i didn't want to be a part of what i thought was like quote unquote lame yeah even though like lame is now like cool in it like yeah i i guess that's I, i've always found myself being like somewhere in the middle i was like the badass kid in the ap classes <laughs> like that was always that was like my that was like where i was at they're like oh he's very intelligent but he's too up his own ass <laughs> like that was that was all always the problem that i had in school <laughs> Be like yeah i can get a an a in ap ap physics but i'd rather tell off the teacher and get a b minus <laughs> so that's when you get into comedy yeah um, and then uh, you've been d- you're relatively new to the scene. Yeah, very new. You've done it a bunch in that time. Um, what's something that you've learned uh, either about comedy, about Ooh. life in general, like something that I think has resonated with you in the last couple months, last couple years? I think it's things being short and to the point. And I, we talked about this a little bit before we got into the the discussion. People don't realize how difficult it is to write a really good, concise joke, a really good, concise sketch, a really good, concise show. Um, Even like an extra word could make it too clunky and people just won't laugh and you remove that one word and people go wild. It's really bizarre how nuanced comedy is. And uh, that's the one thing that really bothers me is people think that, you know, you just go up there and make people laugh. But the guy uh, in your office making people laugh it's not the guy who's who's no. the star on stage. It's the guy who's really quiet and keeps to himself and mutters dirty words to himself while he's microwaving his coffee in the morning. That's the guy who's going to be a star comedian. Just go to the coffee pot. Don't microwave it. Jeez, get a new one. He's too badass. He doesn't. He doesn't take care of himself. Why would Why would he do that? <laughs> I like short and concise. That's a yeah. Th- I'm, and I'm incredibly long winded. If you could tell <laughs> from this conversation, so I I will I will write in. Eight, like for for a short sketch, I'll write like an eight page script and be like, "All right, there's the kitchen sink. Let's get rid of three quarters of this." Good. Yep, chop it down. Yeah. All right. Thanks, John. Oh, thank you.
You can see John Elliman in the Gimmick Show at the Philly Improv Theater Saturday, February 18th at 10.30 p.m. Tickets available at fitcomedy.com and Good Morning New Miami at Good Good Comedy Saturday, February 25th at 7 p.m. Tickets available at goodgoodcomedy.com. Don't forget, Bechdel Test Fest on March 3rd and 4th at Christchurch Neighborhood House. Head to bechdelfest.com for more information. Submissions for sketch teams and the film festival for Philly Sketch Fest are closing soon, so head to phillysketchfest.com to submit. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at phlsketchfest. For more information about comedy in Philly, head to watercooler.com. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.